Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. So I want to continue a sermon series that we began last week. Uh, If I can see that sermon graphic for you note takers, I know we've got quite a few note takers. We started this conversation last uh, last week, the kings of men. I think it's uh, a relevant subject matter considering where we are as a a nation today. So I want to start out by saying, giving you a few names. When we think of the Word of God and we think of the different kings throughout the Bible, the different kings of men, the different kings that some gods set up, some kings that men set up for themselves, I doubt many or any, many of you anyway, know these names. I'm going to give you a pop quiz right off the bat this morning. How about Elah? Anybody know who Elah was? How about Zimri? How about Tibni? How about Ahiza? You guys know that guy? No? How about Athalia? I'll give you one more. Shalom. Anybody know Shalom? That's just a few of the evil kings of Israel. Just a few of the evil kings of Israel. The names of the evil kings of Israel and of Judah, they're not exactly household names, are they? Not quite. In fact, if you really think hard, you can probably come up with maybe the name of one, I mean Ahab, right? Maybe two, maybe two. But these names, these names you've probably heard of before. How about Asa? How about Jehoshaphat? We've heard of Jehoshaphat, haven't we? How about Jotham? How about Hezekiah? Yes. How about Josiah? Cyrus? We know those names, don't we? If we, you and me, if we were judging whether or not a king was good or if a king was bad, if we were the judge, we'd use all sorts of different algorithms, wouldn't we, to determine whether or not he was good or bad. Was the country at war? Was the country at peace? Did he expand territories, right? How about personal wealth? Did your wealth increase while he was king? Did it increase or did it decrease? These are the gauges that we tend to use when we are making the judge, right? The judgment. But God, God uses one metric. Did you know this? God uses one metric and one metric alone. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Amen? One and only one thing made them a good king if they feared the Lord. Did they fear the Lord? And the same was was true uh, for the measure of an evil king as well. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Phrases that we read throughout the Old Testament, don't we? That is the one metric. That is the one metric that truly matters when it comes to God and whether or not a leader of a nation is is good or bad, good or evil, light or dark. As our nation finds itself torn 
torn. Each hath engaged in a struggle for power and the right to have their candidate, right? Their candidate, theirs, their people's representative sit on the proverbial throne. We ask this question this morning. Write this down if you're taking notes. We are, we are, gonna, we are going to pounce on this question this morning. Are you ready for it? How did this happen? With what we are witnessing in our nation today in regards to the presidency, the election, the, the, how torn apart we are. How did this happen? How did we get here? How did we get here? Well, to answer that question, we're going to do what we always do at Live Story Church, right? We're going to look to the Word of God. Amen? You got your Bibles ready? I, oh, I heard Bible pages. I heard them. That wasn't even a sound effect. Andrew found a great Bible pages sound effect for Wednesday nights, guys. If you're joining us online, I can't wait. You're going to love it. Don't miss Wednesday night's uh, live stream. <laughs> so we're going to go to the Word of God. You know, the people of God, they didn't... Oh, let me tell you this. Open your Bibles while you're getting them out since I heard them. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Okay, that's where we'll start. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people of God, they didn't always have a man for a king. Do you know that? They didn't always have a man for a king. God was their king. God was their king. He led them. Led them into the wilderness, led them into the promised land, right? Now, they had Moses, but Moses wasn't king. They had Joshua, but Joshua wasn't king. God was their king. Each tribe, each tribe responsible for themselves. Each man, every woman responsible for themselves to answer to their God and live by the word of God. As Joshua passed away, though, church, uh, as Joshua passed away, the nation of Israel fell into idolatry. It fell into idolatry and paganism due to a void of leadership. Yes, it's true. Thusly, judges were established in the land of Israel. Many of you may be familiar with this uh, time period. There are some incredible judges. Deborah is one that comes to mind. But judges were established. Essentially, at this period of history, Israel was a theocracy. A theocracy. God himself was supposed to be the direct ruler of the nation. He is the direct ruler of the nation. And that is where the nation Israel finds itself in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's read together. Let's jump in at verse 11. Verse 11 through 20. Let's read together. And he said this, he, and he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel is speaking to the people, what God would have him say. This will be the behavior, don't let that be lost on you. What is the behavior of your king? This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. Verse 12, 
He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, bakers. Verse 14. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. Verse 17, he'll take a tenth of your sheep. And you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. You see, God was their king. But they wanted a king like all the other nations. Mm -mm -mm. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. And guess what, church? Over the next several hundred years, that is exactly what happened. And it's still happening today. Still to this day. Verse 19, nevertheless, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles for us. What you're seeing here, church, what you're witnessing here in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is the hearts of men surrendering their freedom for security. Do you get that? They're surrendering their freedom for security. There are a lot of striking similarities between their culture and our culture, aren't there? There truly are. What is your freedom worth to you? Let every man and woman in this room ask themselves that question. What is your freedom worth to you? Give us a king, they said. Give us a king. But he'll take your land but he'll take your land. Give us a king, they said, and he will guard our borders for us. Give us a king, they said, but he'll take your wealth. He'll take your wealth. Give us a king, they said, and he will take care of us. He will provide for us. What's ours will be his to lose. Give us a king, they said, but he'll take your daughters and your sons. Give us a king, they said, and he will judge us, not you and your God, Samuel. He will judge us. There's a famous quote. Many of you have heard it, I'm sure. 
there's a little bit of discrepancy as to who actually wrote it, so I dig, did some digging last night. And turns out, oftentimes people think that Benjamin Franklin said this famous quote I'm about to give you, but it was actually a man named Richard Jackson who penned it in 1755. Benjamin Franklin had a publishing company, and he just published it, and he gets the credit. Isn't that how that works? Can we see that quote? He said this, Any society that would give up a little liberty to gain a little security, you've heard this, right? will deserve neither and lose both. Richard Jackson, 1775. I find this passage of Scripture very relevant, very relevant considering where we are in our nation and in the world today on many levels. Just this past week, uh, Justice Alito, Supreme Court Justice Alito, he said this. Do we have that quote, that next one? He said this, and then he got filleted for saying it by the mainstream media, accused of being an activist and everything. All he said was this. He said, the pandemic has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberty. Is that such a wild thing to say? Has anybody else noticed that? I've noticed that. He also said, religious, and he's speaking, he's speaking specifically about the shutdowns and the, the toll that small businesses have taken in this country. He also said this, he said, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right in this nation. And isn't that true? When you can have protests by the thousands in the streets, but you can't come to church like this in many states, many states, in Davidson County, we're, we're right across the border, so this was really, it was really sweet how uh, God worked this out for us. So we could just go, whoop, <laughs> right? Perfect. Yes, God is good. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I know personally that I, I, I have honestly been surprised by how easily the American people have surrendered liberty for security. I mean, it was shocking, honestly. There's more to this story, though, so let me keep reading, huh? How did these people get to such a place? I mean, that's pretty powerful, right? Give us a king. Give us a king. Samuel's saying, but they'll take all this from you. The Lord is saying he'll take all of this from you. Still, they persist. Give us a king. Well, let me ask you another question. Samuel was a good man, right? We started out by saying, how, do you, how does God judge? What's that one metric that God uses to decide whether a king is wicked or evil? Does anybody remember? They fear the Lord, right? Samuel feared the Lord, didn't he? Yes, he did. So he was a good man. Good man, certainly. But let's back the scripture up and see how, how we truly got here as the nation of Israel, making these demands of Samuel. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. Same chapter. You don't even have to turn the page in all likelihood. We're going to read verse 1 through 5. Can we see that? 1 through 5. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. This is a logical thing to do. Verse 2. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Verse 3. But his sons did not walk in his ways. 
They did not walk in his ways. They turned aside. After dishonest gain, they took bribes and they perverted justice. Verse 4, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and verse 5, and said to him, look, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. I find this interesting because Samuel was God's prophet. He was God's prophet for 70 years or so, church. He heard the voice of God as a child. We've read the story of Samuel, haven't we? He heard the voice of God as a small child even, okay? He was a child of promise. He anointed the first two kings of Israel for crying out loud. But Samuel's sons, for whatever reason, did not follow their father's ways. How does that happen? The people, get this, the people wanted a king because of the actions of Samuel's sons. Talk about a story behind the story here, huh? Every time a mother lost a son to war in Israel, every time a dad lost a daughter to servitude of this king that they would demand, some of that tragedy would rest at Samuel's feet. It's kind of eye-opening, isn't it? Samuel, who so earnestly, so earnestly served his country, prophet of God, he had lost his own family. And in losing his family, what happened? He had lost the country that he so loved. That'll preach. I think this ties into where we are as a nation as well, church. Parents, especially those of you who preach or who serve in any kind of ministry in the church, and your parents, okay, it's hard to win the war against the world. It's hard to win the war against the world if you've lost it at home. Do you understand that? Your living room... Your living room is the first ground that must be taken for the kingdom of God. Amen? Do you hear that, Asher? My oldest son is here today, everybody. <laughs> say, hi, say hi, Asher. He's been hearing this his whole life, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, church. It's interesting to me. That of the Ten Commandments, of the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment that is given to Israel is this. We know it. We love it, right? Parents, we love this one, don't we? Honor your father and your mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. You hear that, kids? It's interesting to me, because this is obviously one of the Ten Commandments. This would obviously apply to the kings of Israel as well. So, think of it, thinking of it in this context, the average reign of a good king was 34 years. Just on average of all the good kings throughout Israel's history, 34 years. And the average uh, of the reign of a wicked king was only 18 years. Hmm. Interesting. Every good king reigned more than 20 years. 
Evil is its own worst enemy, church. That's no, no point. There's no coincidence there that thy days may be long upon the earth. There is every reason in the world that living a godly life should be a better life. Amen? Samuel's sons turned aside. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. And the people were sick of it. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Huh? I think, it, I think our last uh, two elections honestly speak to that, don't they? On one hand, four years ago, you had a, a great majority of people saying anybody but Hillary, right? Amen? It's okay. I know you're in church. It might, you can say it still, okay? Anyone but Hillary. And then this year, you had a number of people in your circle, in your circle people that you know, people at work maybe saying, oh, anybody but Trump, right? Yeah, it's true. I certainly have relatives and families that are in that camp. And they're like, anybody but Trump, especially if they watch fake news propaganda media, right? My, one of my favorite coffee cups at home is FNN, Fake News Network. I mean, seriously, think about this. If you watch that stuff, genuinely, like, let's, let's be real here. If you watch that stuff, you... You, if you hear the lies and the slander that they say about the president, if you hear that, and if you believe that, if you truly saw it and just took it for what it's worth and believed that, I mean, you'd be a bad person not to feel that way, right? I mean, they say some pretty horrible things about him, outright lies about him, right? So, look, there are a lot of people that voted Democrat that aren't necessarily socialists, okay? We need to understand that, guys. I'll be honest with you, four years ago, I was so sick of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, corruption, that corruption machine, that I would have voted for anyone but them. Anyone but them, right? As a matter of fact, when I was still in the voting booth, true story, when I was still in the voting booth, shortly after I'd voted for the president, I literally said to myself, well, I hope I didn't just vote for the Antichrist, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Seriously. Instead, we saw, for the first time in my lifetime, a president do what he promised to do. It's pretty cool. Be who he said he was going to be. That is, if you weren't distracted by fictional smears produced by propaganda machines of the global elite. Don't get me started. <laughs> in the beginning, I mentioned uh, King Asa. And I knew when I listed off these kings, I knew you'd know Jehoshaphat. I knew you'd know Josiah. I knew that you'd know Hezekiah. And I, I threw Asa in there, and I thought, this is probably one that is less famous than the others. But I threw Asa in there for a reason. I mentioned Asa for a reason, to make a point that ties in with something I said earlier. And to do that, I want to go to Second Chronicles chapter 14, if we can. So if you're going to follow us in your text, I'll give you a second. Excellent. For Second Chronicles chapter 14. You know, could I get a glass of water, honey? Thank you. That'd be great. Or coffee or anything wet would be great. Yeah. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. 
Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was, right, what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. There's that phrase, right? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim, the Asherah poles. By the way, <clears throat> Christmas tree is not an Asherah pole. I, I mean that, like, seriously, because I, I heard that, and you know, throughout the, the journey of Amber and I going deeper into the world, we've studied just about everything, <laughs> a lot of stuff. And there was a period of time where knowing the pagan uh, roots to a lot of the uh, holidays that the church celebrates, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with paganism, right? So a lot of times in those camps, in those circles, you'll hear, hear people say that an Asherah pole is a, a Christmas tree t in today's reality, and it's not the case. An Asherah pole was carved into the form of a god, and it was plated with gold, and it was very much an idol, okay? So it's very different. But, you know, we can teach on that a little bit closer to time. Maybe we'll do a Wednesday night on that. Anyway. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and he cut down the Asherim. Remember, God uses church. He uses one and only one metric in judging a king. One. Does he fear the Lord? Almost every time, every time when a good king comes into power or is, is struck with the greatness of God, the first thing that they do is get rid of idolatry in the country. God's first commands to Israel dealt with their relationships with him. With their relationships with him. Have no other gods. Do not make any graven images or take my name lightly. It is the first command for us too, to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, right? The first thing, it always deals with Relationship. The power of influence is strong, church. When a good king was in charge, the whole country did better. The whole country did better. But even more interesting, the lands around them did better too. It wasn't just the people in that country. I think we've seen some of that in the last uh, administration. I think we saw our nation become more prosperous. I know, I know we prospered more because of the policies coming out of uh, the Trump administration. But not only the people in the land, but the people around the land as well. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 10, one verse quickly, reads, And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Did you get that? The fear of the Lord, because of a good king, and I'm not going to jump into too much Jehoshaphat here because I think I might teach on that in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. But just to make this point, the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms and all the lands that not even, not even Judah, just Judah, but all of the kingdoms around. They prosper. They start fearing the Lord. Church, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up to make this point. 
Our communities ought to be better places because of our influence on them. Amen? Christians, our friends ought to be better people because of our influence on them. Amen? Are you the kind of person, here's an application point for you, are you the kind of person who is just easier, who it is just easier to do right around? Are you the kind of person that it's easier to do wrong around, right? God needs people of influence. He does in positions of leadership, okay? When there was a good king, the whole country did well. Listen, young people, all right? I've got some young people in here, right? Listen. And, and parents training these young people, listen to me now. You are needed to be good for the sake of, of the land. You are needed to be good for the sake of the land. We need good, solid, honest politicians, right? Teachers, coaches, lawyers. We desperately need parents to train their children to lead in a godly manner. If we do not, if we do not do that, church, then we relegate those places of leadership to evil leaders and we take steps backwards. There is nothing, nothing wrong with aspiring to lead and be, a, be in a place of influence, guys. Nothing wrong with it if you intend on using that influence for the sake of doing what is right. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says this. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people, to any people. Alexander, a guy by the name of uh, Alexander Fraser Teitler, was a Scottish advocate. He was a judge. He was a writer and a, a historian as well. And he served as a professor of universal history, professor of universal history and Greek and Roman antiquities. This is a pretty good resume so far, huh? <laughs> Greek and Roman antiquities at the University of Edinburgh during the time of the American Revolution. Big college professor guy, right? The time of the American Revolution in Scotland. It was he it was he who wrote these famous words. The gravity of them were likely lost on him at the time he was penning them because I'm still speaking them today, right? I can't imagine anybody repeating me a couple hundred years from now. Alexander Fraser Teitler, he wrote this. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse or gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always followed by a dictatorship. Oh, frightening. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence from bondage 
to spiritual faith. Get this now. Stay with me. Stay with me. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. That's, how, that's the order. That's how it goes. Where do we get our courage from? From our faith. From courage to liberty. And from liberty to abundance. Because there's only one thing that creates wealth like we've seen in this age, and it is liberty. From liberty to abundance, from abundance, unfortunately, though, to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, and from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. Give us a king, they said but he'll take your land. Give us a king, they said, but they'll take your wealth. Give us a king. He'll take your sons and your daughters. Give us a king, we said, that he may fight our battles for us. The same cycle that Israel repeated throughout his history is this. The same, that is the same, you read your Bible, you study the history of the nation of Israel, you will find it is the same cycle that Israel repeated time and time again. From liberty to apostasy, to oppression, to bondage, from their bondage, they cry out, oh Lord God, deliver us. And guess what? Every time never fails, God delivers them. God delivers them and they have liberty. From liberty, they grow into great wealth. From great wealth, they get selfish. They fall into apostasy. They begin to be oppressed, and they fall into bondage. From their bondage, they cry out, Oh, Lord God! Deliver us. It's the same right here. Alexander Fraser Teitler nailed it. So let's bring it back now, shall we? How did we get here? Wasn't that the first question that we asked today? I think it was. Let me, let me phrase it, read it to you again. I'll find that in a minute. Our nation finds itself torn. Who can argue that? Nobody. Torn. Each half engaged in a struggle for power and the right to have their candidate, their people's representative, sit on the proverbial throne. And we ask the question this morning, how did we get here? How did this happen? How could we become so fractured? My, my, my. Well, you ready for the answer? We've always been here. We've always been here. Give us a king that he will fight our battles for us. Church, this is a struggle between life and death. It's nothing short of that. This is a war between light and death. And dark, very real powers of darkness, waging war against God's people, against liberty itself. It is nothing short of that. It is only now that we find ourselves upon the precipice, truly the precipice of a great historical moment. A great moment in the history of our nation, a great moment in the history of the world, whichever way it goes. And this is the question that remains unanswered for now. Will we go the way of all other failed republics? Will we? Or will we speak, stand, pray, and restrain?
What will we do? Will, will you? Let me ask it you. Will this country go the way of all other failed republics? Or will you speak? Will you speak up? Will you stand for truth? Will you pray? Don't discount prayers for your nation. It's the most powerful thing that you can do. It's the most powerful thing that you have in your arsenal, in your weapons chest or vault. It's the power of prayer. It's not your AR-15, although that's pretty good. The power of prayer, church, all right? The power of prayer. There is no king of man. Today's sermon title, The Kings of Men. There is no king of man that can save us. There isn't. There is only one king. Amen? Do you know who I'm talking about? There is one king, and he lives within us. Within us. His spirit is within us. So guess what? The president, don't count on the president to save you. The president needs you. You understand? The president needs us. In a republic, the president stands in the place of us. The people are king in a republic. And the president simply stands in the place of the people representing us. So he needs your prayers, church. No man, king of men, is going to come save us, church. As a nation, as a nation, we have tolerated corruption. We have tolerated deceit. And as a nation, we have tolerated murder. We've tolerated, we've tolerated it uh, in our White House because we have tolerated it in our mayor's office. And we have tolerated it in our mayor's office because we tolerate it in our living rooms. And that is the truth. If we don't want to lose this freedom of ours, we need to remember the words of our founding fathers who said this in the Declaration of Independence. What did they say? Can I see that? We hold these truths, what? Self-evident. Woo! That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Who gave them those rights? They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We have to concede power to them. You understand that? In other words, church... Liberty, freedom, comes from God. It's not... <laughs> I'm not waiting for the mayor to tell me that I can have Thanksgiving, right? The mayor doesn't get to tell me that. This document is my permission pass, you understand? Now, you can argue all day long what, what's the smart thing to do medically and this and that and who's at risk and everything else. And you should use the wisdom God gives you and make a good decision. But as far as us being given permission by any office in this land to do certain things, you with me? 
Our freedom comes from God. We'll not save this nation without him. Do you understand that? Even now, the enemies of God plot their one world order. Even now. And it's prophetic. It'll arrive one day. There will be a tribulation of seven years. We've studied this many times. An antichrist will set up and reign shortly after a rapture event occurs. And there will be a one-world monetary system, one-world government, one-world mark, right? Even now, the enemies of God are planting that one-world order, and what stands in their, the way of their plan is liberty. What stands in the way of their plot is liberty. Even uh, George Soros famously years ago in an interview, and I mean like eight, ten years ago, said, really the only thing that stands in the way of a one-world government is the United States of America. He said it on like ABC or something. Not even hiding it. They plot their one-world order right now. It is actually at this point so out in the open that even false progressive pastors won't be able to dodge the prophetic questions of significance for long. I got a couple minutes. Okay. Can I see that next picture? I want to encourage you guys, if you don't know what this is, take a note. I want you to look it up. Okay? The World Economic Forum is talking about a great reset. They want to do away with capitalism. They want a new monetary system. They want a new, uh, more like a, a uh, communist, capitalist, socialist view of, of the world. They want to use the Green New Deal and all of these uh, programs and projects, global warming initiatives to drain the United States of its wealth and put us on an even par with other nations around the world. Thusly, because we're too powerful. Why would we sign up for a one-world order, right? That's what our president spent four years trying to do, is riding a tide of nationalism and independence. No more pointless foreign wars, amen? Well, this Great Reset, if you don't know what it is, you need to look at it. Can I see the next picture? I've got a few of them. John Kerry talks about the Great Reset. I mean, this is a real deal, guys. This isn't some conspiracy theory anymore, okay? They talk about the Great Reset. They say, and John Kerry, former uh, Secretary of State, says, we are at the dawn of extremely exciting time regarding this Great Reset. Let's see the next one. And there's Prince Charles introduced. This is the Hill. This, this is mainstream media, Okay. Introducing the Great Reset, world leaders' radical plan to transform the economy. They've been at it for some time, and this is the point where they have, for some reason, decided 2020 is the year. It would be 2020, wouldn't it? Can we see the next one? UN-backed Great Reset to usher in new world order. Guys, this is straight out of Revelation. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Who do you need to tell about Jesus? Huh? What do we see next? That slogan looks familiar, doesn't it? That's the Prime Minister of England. Build back better. What in the world? Well, that was Joe Biden's slogan, wasn't it? Can I see the next picture? It's everywhere. It's everywhere, church, because it is a global initiative to push the great reset button and initiate a one-world government and monetary system. 
Is that the last one, Bennett? I think it is. Thanks, buddy. What did we read just a second ago? What did we read? These nations have progressed through this sequence from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. A democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always historically followed by a dictatorship. It's real, church. This is a struggle between light and dark. The kings of men, evil kings of men, are ready to have their time in the sun. And they will. They will. The true Antichrist will step onto the scene here shortly, I'm sure of it. But may we pray and may we, with the power of the Holy Spirit within us, restrain that. Amen? As long as possible. Speak, stand, pray, restrain. It's time that the king of this nation, church, hear me now, the king of this nation, and who is that? The people return to God. It is time that we abolish all idols and false gods that we have set up for ourselves as a nation. Somebody say amen. Come on now. It's time to rid ourselves of the corruption that we have tolerated for too long in our offices and in our living rooms. If the Lord tarries, church, history will mark which side of this war we stand on today. With every eye closed and every head bowed, Leith, if I can invite you up. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, maybe he's calling you to attention as a soldier in the army of the Lord to speak, stand, pray, and restrain. Or I don't know, maybe he's bringing some form of correction the Holy Spirit is so good sometimes we can be so short-sighted what did what did the uh, phrase we read a second ago said it said from from apathy to selfishness right or vice versa we find ourselves, even as believers, sealed by the Holy Spirit, believers, we find ourselves too short-sighted, focusing on only ourselves, finding ourselves becoming apathetic sometimes. I don't know. However, the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart right now. I just want everyone in this room, every eye closed, every head bowed, as we center our heart and we focus our, our heart and our spirit on the presence of the Holy Spirit, let him move through your hearts. Let him be docile with him. Let him bring correction, receive that correction. This is a time to get your heart right and your mind right and set on the things above. Amen? If you're here right now and that's you, no one's looking around. It's just your pastor and your God. Just raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down. I just want you to lay this at his the feet. His feet. 
of his throne. Just lay it down to him, church. And if you're here this morning and you want to say a prayer of rededication or maybe you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time and dedicate your life to him, if that's you, raise your hand because I want to pray with you after tea. So raise your hand right now. Thank you. And if you're watching this online, send us a message so we can, so we can contact you and pray with you. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you are good. You are so good, and we thank you for who you are. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this nation that you have blessed us with. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for liberty, Father, that you have given that to us, Father. We stand by the words of our forefathers, and we give you the credit. We acknowledge it is you who gives us these certain rights of life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We thank you for it, God. And God, forgive us, Lord, for the freedom that we have surrendered for a little security, even recently, Jesus. Give us wisdom and courage for the days ahead, Father. We pray that you go before us, Father. Go before us, Father. Give us a spirit of boldness and courage, strength, Father. And do so, Father, for all of your people across this nation all of your people that do sit in, in seats of power in this land and for our president and his attorneys as well. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, protect them. Warring angels, surround them, Father. Let every deed in darkness be exposed in the name of Jesus, God. As your people cry out, we will tolerate corruption no more. Lord Jesus, we proclaim that this is a land that honors you a nation that honors the Lord our God. Heavenly Father, bless, bless your people and bless this land for it. In the name of Jesus. Now say this if you're saying that prayer of rededication. Church, can we all say this out loud? Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I now live. Come into my heart and make me new. And walk with me all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, church. We're so glad that you guys are here. Now, come on back next Sunday. We'll be here again. Invite somebody and meet us uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on the live stream on YouTube or on Facebook. Guys, it's so great to have a, a group of people chatting in that room while we're teaching. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We love you guys. Thank you.